the good Sir Guillaume. Sir Guillaume meets the magician. Archimago, the wicked magician, who had worked such mischief to Una and the Red Cross Knight, was very angry when he found that, in the end, all his evil wiles were defeated, and that the knight and the lady were happily betrothed. He would willingly have brought more trouble on them, but he was powerless to do any harm to Una, for she was now safely restored to her own kingdom and living in the care of her father and mother. He therefore directed all his spite against the knight, who had once more to set forth on his adventures, as he had promised Queen Gloriana to serve her faithfully for six years. At the end of that time, he hoped to return and marry Una, and the king, her father, had made him heir to the throne. Archimago, whose other name you may remember was Hypocrisy, set all his wits to work to see what harm he could do the knight. For he knew that after all the troubles he had fallen into, he would be more than usually careful. He kept laying snares for him and placed spies wherever he went, but the knight had now become so wise and weary that he always found out and shunned the danger. Archimago, however, still kept on hoping he should find some way to hurt him, and at last his opportunity came. It happened one day that the enchanter saw marching to meet him a noble knight. The stranger was clad in shining armor and rode a splendid warhorse. His bearing was very stately, and his face, although calm and beautiful, was so stern and noble that all his friends loved him and his foes feared him. He was one of the chief knights of Queen Gloriana's court, a man of great honor and power in his native land. His name was Sir Guillaume. As the Red Cross Knight was known as the Champion of Holiness, so Sir Guillaume was known as the Knight of Temperance. With him now there was an aged palmer, or pilgrim, clad in black. His hair was gray, and he leant on a staff. To judge by his look, he was a wise and grave old man, and he seemed to be acting as guide to the knight, who carefully checked his prancing horse to keep pace with his slow footsteps. The name of the black palmer was Conscience, and he went with Sir Guillaume as his companion and advisor, somewhat in the same fashion as Prudence had gone as servant with the Red Cross Knight. When Archimago saw Sir Guillaume, he immediately stopped him, just as on a former occasion he had stopped the Red Cross Knight. This time he had a fresh story to tell, which of course was perfectly false. He implored Sir Guillaume to come to the help of a beautiful maiden, cruelly ill-treated by a rough knight, who had cut off her golden locks and threatened to kill her with his sharp sword. What? cried Sir Guillaume, his gentle nature roused to indignation. Is the man still alive who could do such a deed? He is alive and boasts of it, said wicked hypocrisy, nor has any other knight yet punished him for it. Take him to me at once, said Sir Guillaume. That I can easily do, said Archimago. I will show you where he is, and he hurried off in high glee, because he thought that at last he found a way to revenge himself on the Red Cross Knight. Friend or Foe Archimago and Sir Guillaume came presently to a place where a beautiful lady sat alone, with torn clothes and ruffled hair. She was weeping bitterly and wringing her hands, and when Sir Guillaume asks her the cause of her grief, she said it was because she had been most cruelly treated by a rough knight. This lady who seemed so good and gentle was, in reality, no other than Duessa, or falsehood, 
who had formerly led the Red Cross Knight into such trouble. Her old companion, Archimago, had found her wandering forlorn in the desert whither she had been banished by Prince Arthur, and had again decked her out in fine clothes and ornaments, so that she might help him in his wicked schemes. Her cunning quite deceived Sir Guillaume, who believed everything she told him. Be comforted, fair lady, he said, and tell me who did this, so that I can punish him at once. I do not know his name, she replied, but he rode a dappled gray steed, and on his silver shield there was a red cross. When Sir Guillon heard this, he was amazed. I cannot think how that knight could have done such a deed, he said, for I can say boldly he is a right good knight. I was present when he first took arms and started out to help the Lady Una, since when he was one great glory, as I have heard tell. Nevertheless, he shall be made to explain this, and if he cannot clear himself of all blame, be sure he shall be well punished. Duessa was greatly pleased when she heard this, for now she hoped there would be a quarrel between the two knights. Archimago led then Sir Guillaume by an unknown way through the woods and across mountains till they came at last to a pleasant dale which lay between two hills. A little river ran through this valley, and by it sat a knight with his helmet unlaced, refreshing himself with the cool water after his long journey and hard work. "'Yonder is the man,' cried Archimago. "'He has come here thinking to hide himself, but in vain, for you will soon make him repent of his cruelty. All success to you. We will stay here and watch from a distance.' Archimago and Duessa left Sir Guillaume, who immediately rushed forward to the attack. The stranger, seeing a knight hurrying so fiercely towards him, seized his own weapons, prepared for battle, and sprang to meet him. The two had almost met when Sir Guillaume suddenly lowered his spear. "'Mercy, Sir Knight, mercy!' he cried. "'Pardon my rashness that had almost led me to disgrace my honor by raising my weapon against the sacred badge on your shield.' When the Red Cross Knight, for he indeed it was, heard the other's voice, he knew him at once. Ah, dear Sir Guillaume, he said, bowing courteously, it is I, rather, who should be blamed. In my reckless haste, I almost did violence to the image of your Queen Gloriana, which I now see inscribed on your shield. The fault is mine. So the two knights made friends, and talked very happily together and Sir Guillaume explained how he had been cheated by Archimago and Duessa, who had both now fled away. Then came up Guillaume's guide, Conscience, and as soon as his eye fell on the Red Cross Knight he knew him, for he had seen him at the court of Queen Gloriana. Joy be with you, and everlasting fame for the great deeds you have done, he cried. Your glorious name is enrolled in the heavenly register, where you have won a seat among the saints. We luckless mortals are now only beginning to run the race in which you have gained such renown. Then to his master he said, God grant you, Guillaume, to end your work well and bring your weary bark safely to the wished-for haven. Palmer, said the Red Cross Knight, give the praise to God, to whom all honor is due, and who made my hand the organ of his might. Attribute nothing to me except a willing heart. For all that I did, I only did as I ought. But as for you, fair sir, whose turn it is now, he added to Guillaume, may you prosper as well as you can wish, and may we hear thrice happy tidings of you, 
for you are indeed worthy both in courage and gentle manners. Then the two knights took leave of each other, with much courtesy and goodwill. Sir Guillaume went forward on his journey, still guided by the black palmer, who led him over hill and dale, pointing out the way with his staff, and by his wise judgment guarded his master from all dangers into which his own hasty nature might have made him fall. The Story of the Knight and the Lady after leaving the Red Cross Knight, Guillaume and the Black Palmer, or Conscience, traveled for some distance, fighting and winning many battles as they went, which brought much honor to the knight. But the chief adventure in Sir Guillaume's life began in this way. One day, passing through a forest, they heard sounds of bitter weeping and lamentation. If I cannot be revenged for all my misery, cried a voice, at least nothing can prevent my dying. Come then, come soon, come, sweetest death. But thou, my babe, who hast seen thy father's fall, long mayest thou live and thrive better than thy unhappy parents. Live to bear witness that thy mother died for no fault of her own. When Sir Guillaume heard these piteous words, he dismounted and rushed into the thicket, where he found a beautiful lady dying on the ground. In her arms there was a lovely baby, and the dead body of an armed knight lay close beside them. Horrified at the sight, Sir Guillaume did all he could to restore the lady to life, but she begged him to leave her alone to die in peace. Her sorrows, she said, were more than she could bear, and therefore she had tried to kill herself. Dear lady, said Sir Guillaume, all that I wish is to comfort you and to bring you some relief. Therefore tell me the cause of your misfortune. Listen then, she answered. This dead man, the gentlest, bravest knight that ever lived, was my husband, the good Sir Mordaunt. One day he rode forth, as his custom of knights, to seek adventures, and it chanced most unhappily he came to the place where the wicked Acrasia lives. Acrasia, the false enchantress, who had brought ruin on so many knights. Her dwelling is within a wandering island in perilous gulf. Fair sir, if you ever travel there, shun the hateful place. I will tell you the name. It is called the Bower of Bliss. Cracia's one aim in life is pleasure. In the Bower of Bliss, nothing is thought of but eating and drinking and every kind of luxury and extravagance. All those who come within it forget everything good and noble and care for nothing but to amuse themselves. When my dear knight never returned to me, I set forth in search of him, and here I found him, a captive to the spells of Acrasia. At first he did not even know me, but by and by, with great care, I brought him back to a better state of mind, and persuaded him to leave the Bower of Bliss. But the wicked enchantress, angry at losing one of her victims, gave him a parting cup of poison, and stooping to drink at this well, he suddenly fell dead. When I saw this... Here the lady's own words failed, and lying down as if to sleep, quiet death put an end to all her sorrow. Sir Guillaume felt such grief at what had happened that he could scarcely keep from weeping. Turning to the palmer, he said, Behold here this image of human life, when raging passion like a fierce tyrant robs reason of its proper sway. The strong it weakens, and the weak it fills with fury. The strong, like this knight, falls soonest through excess of pleasure. The weak, like this lady, through excess of grief. But temperance with a golden rule can measure out a medium between the two. 
neither to be overcome by pleasure nor to give way to despair. Thrice happy man who can tread evenly between them. But since this wretched lady did wrong through grief and not from wickedness, it is not for us to judge her. Let us give her an honorable burial. Death comes to all, the good and the bad alike, and after death each must answer for his own deeds. But both alike should have a fitting burial. So Sir Guillon and the Black Palmer dug a grave under the cypress trees, and here they tenderly placed the dead bodies of the knight and the lady, and bade them sleep in everlasting peace. And before they left the spot, Sir Guillon swore a solemn vow that he would avenge the hapless little orphan child for the death of his parents. The Three Sisters After the burial of the knight and the lady, Sir Guillaume gave the little baby into the care of Palmer, and lading himself with the heavy armor of the dead, Sir Mordaunt, the two started again on their journey. But when they came to the place where Sir Guillaume had left his steed, with its golden saddle and costly trappings, they found, to their surprise and vexation, that it had quite disappeared. They were obliged, therefore, to go forward on foot. By and by they came to a famous old castle, built on a rock near the sea. In this castle lived three sisters, who were so different in character that they could never agree. The eldest and the youngest were always quarreling, and they were both as disagreeable as possible to the middle sister. Elissa, the oldest, was very harsh and stern. She always looked discontented, and she despised every kind of pleasure or merriment. It was useless ever to attempt to make her smile. She was always frowning and scolding in a way not at all becoming to any gentle lady. Parissa, the younger sister, was just as bad in the other direction. She cared for nothing but amusement, and was so full of laughter and play that she forgot all rules of right and reason, and became quite thoughtless and silly. She spent all her time in eating and drinking and dressing herself up in fine clothes. These two sisters showed the evil of two extremes. But the middle sister, Medina, or Golden Mean, as she was sometimes called, was the type of moderation, and all that was right and proper. She was sweet and gracious and womanly, not harsh and stern like Alyssa, nor yet heedless and silly like Parissa. She dressed richly but quietly, and her clothes suited her well. They were different alike from Alyssa's stinginess and Parissa's extravagance. When Medina saw Sir Guillaume approaching the castle, she met him on the threshold and led him in like an honored guest. But her sisters were very angry when they heard of his arrival. There were two other visitors at the castle just then, and they also were very angry. Sir Hudibras was a friend of the eldest sister. He was very savage and sullen slow-witted but big and strong. Sansloy, or Lawless, was the friend of the youngest sister. He was the same Lawless who had been so cruel to poor Una, and he was just as bold and unruly now as he had been then, and he never cared what wrong he did to anyone. These two hated each other and were always quarreling, but when they heard of the coming of the stranger knight, they both flew to attack him. On the way, however, they began fighting with each other, and hearing the noise, Sir Guillaume ran to try to stop them, whereupon they both turned upon him. 
The two sisters stood by and encouraged them to go on fighting, but Medina ran in amongst them and entreated them to stop. Her gentle words at last appeased their anger, and they laid down their weapons and consented to make friends. Then Medina invited them all to a feast, which she had prepared in honor of Sir Guillaume. Alyssa and Parissa came very unwillingly, though they attempted to hide their grudging and envy under a pretense of cheerfulness. One sister thought the entertainment provided far too much, and the other sister thought it far too little. Alyssa would scarcely speak or eat anything, while Parissa chatted and ate far more than was right or proper. After the feast, Medina begged Sir Guillaume to tell them the story of his adventures, and to say on what quest he was now bound. Then Sir Guillaume told them all about the court of the fairy queen, Gloriana, and how he had sworn service to her, and promised to go out into the world and fight every kind of evil. The task he now had in hand was to find out the wicked enchantress, Acracia, and to destroy her dwelling, for she had done more bad deeds than could be told, and among them had brought about the deaths of the father and mother of the poor little baby he had taken under his care. By the time Sir Guillaume's tale was finished, the night was far spent, and all the guests in the castle betook themselves to rest. Braggadocio as soon as it was dawn, Sir Guillaume arose, and mindful of his appointed work, armed himself again for the journey. The little baby whom he rescued he entrusted to the tender care of Medina, entreating her to train him as befitted his noble birth. Then, since his good steed had been stolen from him, he and the palmer fared forward on foot. It will be remembered that when Sir Guillaume heard the cries for help of the Lady Amavia, he dismounted and ran into the thicket, leaving his horse outside. While he was absent, there wandered the way an idle, worthless fellow called Braggadocio. This was a man who never did anything great or good, but who was extremely vain and boastful, and always trying to make out he was somebody grand. When he saw the beautiful horse with its golden saddle and rich trappings and Sir Guillaume's spear, he immediately took possession of them and hurried away. He was so puffed up with self-conceit that he felt now as if he were really some noble knight, and he hoped that everyone else would think the same of him. He determined to go first to court, where he thought such a gallant show would at once attract notice and gain him favor. Braggadocio had never been trained in chivalry. He rode very badly, and could not manage Sir Guillaume's splendid high-spirited horse in the least. He managed, however, to stick on somehow, and presently, seeing a man sitting on a bank by the roadside and wishing to show off, he rode at him, pretending to aim at him with his spear. The silly fellow fell flat down with fear, crying out for mercy. Braggadocio was very proud and delighted at this, and shouted at him in a loud voice, Die, or yield thyself, my captive. The man was so terrified that he promised at once to become Braggadocio's servant, so the two went on together. They were excellently well-suited, for both were vain and false and cowardly, while Braggadocio tried to get his own way by bluster and his companion by cunning. Trompart, or Deceit, for that was the man's name, speedily discovered the folly of his master. He was very wily-witted and well-accustomed to every form of cunning trickery, 
and to suit his own purpose, he flattered up Bragadocio and did all he could to encourage his idle vanity. Presently, as the two went along, they met the wicked magician Archimago, or Hypocrisy, who was now just as angry with Sir Guillaume as he had been before with the Red Cross Knight. When he saw Bragadocio, he thought he had found a good opportunity to be revenged on both the knights, and going up to him, he asked if he would be willing to fight them. Bragadocio immediately pretended to fall into a great rage against them, and said he would slay them both. Then Archimago, seeing that he had no sword, warned him that he must arm himself with the very best weapons, for they were two of the mightiest warriors living. "'Silly old man,' said Bragadocio boastfully. "'Stop giving advice. Isn't one brave man enough, without sword or shield, to make an army quail? You little know what this right hand can do. Once, when I killed seven knights with one sword, I swore thenceforward never to wear a sword in battle again, unless it could be the one that the noblest knight on earth wears.'" Thank you for listening to this sample. To continue listening to this book and for access to all of our other full audiobooks, please subscribe for $7.77 per month. Go to adultbrain.ca or follow the link in the show notes. This will be a completely separate podcast with a new RSS feed and will have all the titles from this feed as well. Thank you for your help and support in bringing rare and forgotten books to audio for the world.